You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferberg, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Hey there, welcome back to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer, and this podcast was created to guide special educators in their journey to become amazing teachers. My goal is to provide you with the support and training you need to become a highly effective, highly successful special educator. If special education is your calling and you are in this for the long haul, then this is the place to be. And I'm going to be right by your side, helping you learn everything you can about being a great special educator and how to become a stronger leader for your staff. Whether you are just starting out in this field and are struggling with how to supervise and train your staff, or if you've been working in your position for a while and you just need some advice for how to begin building your department into a true team, I can help. I've created a 10-step guide to begin creating a team culture with your staff, and you can get it for free at www.spedprepacademy.com team. It includes 10 easy-to-implement steps to learn how to build the team you've always dreamed of, and I can speak from experience when I say that these 10 steps completely transformed my leadership abilities just four or five short years ago. I went from feeling frustrated, burned out, and resentful because of things like my paras were coming to school late, or they're on their phones all the time, or they were not where they were scheduled to be, or they were constantly bickering with each other to being highly confident in my leadership skills, knowing how to clearly communicate with my staff and building relationships that aided in high retention rates and happy Paris. And I want that for you as well. So again, just go to www.spedprepacademy.com team and get access to those 10 free steps for free. Today's guest on the show is the face behind ABA Speech with Rose. Rosemary Griffin is an ASHA certified speech language pathologist and a board certified behavior analyst. You don't hear those two degrees going together very often. She owns her own private practice, ABA Speech, which offers therapy services, courses, consultations, and products geared toward helping autistic students find their voice. Rose is also the host of the Autism Outreach Podcast, a weekly show about autism and communication. She is a sought-after speaker who enjoys connecting with audiences at the local, state, and national level, and she is passionate about the mission of ABA Speech, which is to help all students become more independent communicators. Today, Rose and I sat down for a chat about play. Okay, it's not as simple as that, but it is a topic that was a lot of fun to talk about because it's something that gets taken for granted. Sitting down and playing a board game might sound easy enough, but for some students, the rules and the stipulations of the game are preventing them from being included. Rose breaks down the why and how to modify play and leisure skills to enable learners of all abilities to join in and shares about the positive benefits of including all of our students in these activities. Well, hey there, Rose. Welcome to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I am so excited to jump into what we're going to talk about today because it's something that I'm really interested in and I think a lot of the listeners will be able to take information and put it into action immediately. But before we get started, would you introduce yourself and share about your journey within the field of special education? Absolutely. I am a speech-language pathologist and a board-certified behavior analyst, and there are less than 450 people worldwide that have both those certifications. So I try to meet everybody that is also a fellow, sometimes we call each other unicorns, Um, and I just really fell in love with helping 
to support autistic learners. And that's really just where it all started for me. And so now I divide my time between a public school three days a week as a speech therapist, middle school, high school. And I also have my own business, ABA Speech, where I have a podcast, I see clients, we offer courses and consultations, products, you name it. And it's all about helping autistic students start communicating and to increase their communication skills. Well, wow. I think that is so cool. I saw that you were both a speech and language pathologist and a BCBA. And I was like, I've never come across somebody that has both of those. So yeah, obviously, it's not fairly common. Yes. Yes. Makes it very specialized. So I, <laughs> I enjoy being able to help my students and, and use both the fields, kind of blend them together. Well, that's great. Well, today we're going to talk about modified play and leisure skills. And I mean, how fun of a topic is that? We get to focus on something that's a lot more fun than paperwork and IEPs <laughs> and behavior plans. But I have been working with families and general education teachers for quite a few years. And I often hear them remark that they don't know what their students like to do for fun or that their child's leisure skills are restricted to devices and screens. And hearing that is just like, fingernails on a chalkboard for me because I find it so disheartening because there's so much more to this world than the digital aspect. So I'm so happy you came on today to talk about modified play and leisure skills and how they can boost all sorts of skills. So let's start out with what types of students you said you worked with middle school and high school students. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more about the kids that you see. Yeah, so I, I really love it because I really do. When I got into the field of speech pathology, I was like, wow, this is so cool because as a speech therapist, you can really you learn about helping much older people, you know, who have had strokes and swallowing disorders, and you learn about helping very small children. So for me, I'm kind of feel like I'm kind of living my best life here because in the school, I'm working with students who are in middle school, high school, but in my private practice, I specialize in seeing students who are in preschool and elementary. So, you know, a lot of the things I'm going to share today are probably probably a, a little bit geared towards younger students because um, I'm thinking that might be your audience. But a lot of this stuff is really applicable for a lot of ages. And the reason that I really got on this kind of modified leisure skills is I had spent a lot of time working in non-public programs. And so these are for students who are really have behavioral barriers that are unsafe or they're just not learning in a public school. And so their least restrictive environment is a more restrictive environment. And so I spent a lot of time um, in many years, most of my career until I started my business in that setting. And I would see that when I was working with my students in a group or we were working on quote unquote social skills or, you know, uh, reciprocity back and forth, that they really struggled to play games like we would with typical learners. And I, I knew that my kids really wanted to engage. And so, you know, over the past 10 years, I've just started to modify everyday games and people really are like, oh, I never really thought about doing it that way. But I knew that I wanted to embed prompts into these games because sometimes the students I'm working with, especially the older ones, probably are not going to be able to engage in these leisure activities the way that, that me and you do. And so it's great just to have a couple little embedded prompts in there and so that everybody can kind of enjoy these activities together. Well, that's, that's awesome. I know that, you know, being a special education teacher, we're always thinking outside the box of how we can modify everything. So putting it into action with games is a really unique you know, skill to have. So do you do any type of like informal or formal assessments to uncover their, their potential areas of interest, you know, some of the games that they might be interested in? 
Yeah, I love to do. I mean, the BCBA of me does some uh, an assessment called the VB Map, which is more you know ABA oriented. Even if you were, you know, some school districts do use this assessment. It's kind of it's pretty comprehensive. Sometimes if you're working with an outside consultant, you might come across the VB Map. But something that I like to do, no matter what kind of assessment I like to do for my students is I always do an observation. I really try to because I'm in the school. So I do, I think that's one of the perks of being in the school is you get to see the kids around other kids. You know, when you're isolated in a private practice, like I am too, for some of my clients, you're just asking parents like, well, what are they like? You know what I mean? What are they like around other kids? Um, But when I'm in a school setting, I try to do an observation during a class lesson um, so I can kind of see that group dynamic. And then I also do an observation at a time like gym or recess where the kids are really just peer-to-peer interaction and seeing like, are they able to interact with peers? Do they get bored easily out on the playground? You know, I've had students before where they would just go from adult to adult to adult on the playground because they didn't feel comfortable interacting with other peers. And and I didn't want anybody to feel that way. And that was that was a particular student I was seeing for speech therapy. So just out of my, you know, experience, this is kind of where it all came through. But I think observation is so important. And especially now with thinking about social skills and being really cognizant of, well, why are we working? on social skills. You know, um, we want our students to be able to, to have joy and to have fun with their classmates and to practice that back and forth communication in a low stress way. And so that's why these modified leisure skills kind of get the job done on all, on all fronts. Yeah, I think observation is very important. And just to put them into that unstructured environment where you're just <laughs> watching them and seeing, you know, what they gravitate towards and, you know, what kinds of things, you know, pique their interest. But when you said that, you know, coming in, like my kindergartners coming in this year, you can tell that their social skills are lacking, Yeah, you know, compared to other years because they've, they've just been at home so much and they have not had those opportunities to, to you know, practice their social skills. So, yeah, definitely observation. I, I see that as very important as well. So when you are in the school setting, how are you providing your services in the classroom? Do you do a, like a pullout model or you are you push in? What does that look like? Yeah, for most of the students, especially my autistic learners who have more high support needs, I'm going into the classroom. So some of the students might get a combination of individual and small group instruction. um, But I really love to provide that small group instruction in the classroom. And, you know, I'm very lucky. I work in a district. We we have smart boards, which I just think are the most amazing thing in the world. I actually had this random dream over holiday break that I had a smart board in my house. Very <laughs> random. But I'm like, hey, that'd be cool for Instagram, right? Um, but, I, you know, I love to be able to go in to do group and we do literacy-based activities. And then we always end our small group lessons with modified leisure skills. And I love that too, because when you're working with students who are a little bit older, you know, you're always thinking like, well, why am you start to think this a little bit more, I think is, you know, why am I teaching the student the skill, right? And so a lot of the times you can say like, well, wow, I'm teaching the skill, this how to play connect for in a modified way. So they can engage with their sister because otherwise they really wouldn't be able to play it in a traditional way. But this allows the mom to be able to buy them a gift for Christmas and they can play and they can generalize it to the cousin's house. And, you know, these are just things that some of my clients have told me. But I think that push-in is really nice because then I'm building rapport with the classroom staff. I'm modeling how to work on communication. And then I think there's a greater chance that some of these things that I'm modeling will take place when when the kids are not directly in speech therapy. 
Well, you kind of touched on it a little bit is, you know, with those general education teachers. So do you have some specific strategies that you use for collaboration with them? Yeah, I think just making sure like so I in my buildings, they meet by uh, grade level. So I, as a speech therapist, try to go into team is what we call it in my building, um, just to make sure that I'm talking about the students who are receiving speech therapy services. And I think just kind of, I learned a long time ago, you have to advocate for what you do as a speech therapist, because the teachers that know what I do in the building, they really know what I do. And the teachers that don't know, they don't know who I am. They don't know what days I'm there, you know, things like that. So I try to really be embedded into the school as a whole, even though I'm not, they're not there every day. And so I do that by going to team. I do that by talking about communication pre COVID, you know, I would every April, you know, autism acceptance month, I would go in and I would do a talk on autism that was pertinent to the school environment just to keep top of mind, um, you know, about what I do so that I think when people are familiar with who I am in the building, they feel comfortable coming to me if they have a question about a student, you know, or, and I'm just there to uh, to build rapport with them, to help them with their communication and facilitating that with their students throughout the day. That's awesome. And then what about the parent aspect? You know, you said do you make those generalizations across the board. So do you do you make recommendations to the parents of what games to purchase or how does that how does that communication happen? Yeah, so I try to be really specific on progress report writing and you know, I have had in the past parents who um I don't want to say demanded that I email them after sessions, but kind of did, you know, advocates, lawyers involved, and I, and that was just part of their services. Um, so that way was a way to stay in touch, right, into communication. But I really try to be super specific in my progress report writing. So I may say, hey, you know, we worked on modified Uno, and this is exactly how we modified the game so that they feel comfortable sharing that progress note with their outside providers. Because a lot of the times the students I'm working with that are autistic, they might be getting outside ABA. They might be getting outside speech therapy. I obviously talk to those people throughout the school year too. And so I just try to be very specific in my progress report writing as a way to help with that generalization piece. Well, that's a good idea. I've never I've never thought of it. I mean, I'm always reporting on their progress academically, but I've never thought to, you know, tell them even more about what we do and in, in as far as the non-structured activities in mm-hmm. my classroom. But so my niche area is supporting paraprofessionals. And so every time I have an interview, I always want to bring it back to the paras. So how do you support the paraprofessionals who are working with students on a daily basis? Love that question. Um, I, you know, I'm definitely a people person. That's why I got into speech therapy. I remember going to work with my sister, who's an accountant, who I love my sister, but I remember being in that office thinking, yeah, no, no, this is not going to work for me. I need to. My husband's an accountant. Okay, you know what I'm saying. It's like Excel yeah. spreadsheets and all the things. But, you know, I just really love people. So, you know, I build rapport with people, with staff, which is easy for me because I just inherently do love people. Um, but, you know, another thing I try to always do is, um, you know, for some of my students with more high support needs, I've had times where I have to co-treat with paraprofessionals to really show them like, hey, this is exactly the strategy that we're using um, because the students were on very rigorous programs. So it was like I was working on requesting maybe with a device and then I was showing the Parapro how to do it. They were taking data. I was giving them feedback. It was like very structured, almost like 
I would do in a clinic, but it was within a public school. Um, other things I do is I always try to go over the IEP goals with the paraprofessionals to, because usually, I mean, in my district does a good job of generalizing and not one kid is working with one para, you know, which tends to kind of happen if, you know, it's just familiarity and that's kind of what happens, I feel like. But um, I just try to build rapport so that they understand, you know, this is what I'm working on. This is why it's important. You know, do you have any questions? Because sometimes I'll have parapros who will be um, on days that I'm not there. They will they will be running the communication targets, you know, under my instruction and my modeling and support. Um, and so it just really depends on on the needs of the students. And so I definitely um, try to check in with them and see how things are going. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Keeping those those important people in our lives well informed yes. and like you said modeling for them that's that's very important so you mentioned goals do you have what types of goals do you write for students when it comes to you know, modified play. Yeah. So, you know, I've written some goals, like standalone goals as a speech therapist or some with the teacher that are like a shared leisure type goal. And so we've had goals for um, students that will engage for a certain duration of time. You know, I have one student now, he's in eighth grade, but in sixth grade, he really, he didn't like group and he would, he'd stay in group for about three minutes. And then it was, he had some problem behavior that was showing us he didn't want to be in group at the time, you know, um, but now he loves group and he says, hi, Miss Rose. That's kind of, I was preschool before I got into middle school, high school. So I go by Miss Rose, but he, um, he greets me. He's like excited. We always do different stuff and he is an active participant. So sometimes I'll write goals for, um, you know, how long a student is engaged in the group. I'll write goals for how long, how many times a student is going to participate in the group. And that could just be anything, you know, coming to the smart board, raising their hand, doing the leisure skill. Um, and I've even had students who um, were probably graduating from speech group, but they would like get all the materials ready. You know, they would write a schedule on the board. And so it really just depends on my learner. But those are some ideas. So what would you say to somebody who was, who was, you know, saw what you did from the outside and just saw the game playing, what would you say to somebody, you know, that was maybe critiquing what you did and didn't understand the reason behind it? Yeah, I would say, you know, my my goal is to work myself out of a job. And my goal is for my students to have peer-to-peer -peer interaction and have that ability to engage socially with their peers. Um, and that doesn't even mean verbally, right? A lot of these things we can do and we're not even talking. Like one of my big soapboxes is I can't stand when people make kids say, my turn your turn when you're playing a game. Because if you watch typical language learners play games, they never say that. They might get mad at a kid and say, my turn and like grab stuff. I have three kids of my own. I'm drawing on my personal experience here. But, you know, they just don't say those things. So I would say this is such an amazing time. We're working on you know, following directions, cooperative learning, learning a new skill in a group. I mean, this is how life really works. And so I always think to myself, why is what I'm teaching important? How is it going to generalize beyond the classroom? Because I know that as public school employees, we have to talk about what's academically relevant and with the curriculum. But this is important for the student in the larger school environment, right? At lunch, at gym, at recess, um, and beyond. And these are just foundational skills that are going to help that student become a more independent communicator. Oh, that's awesome. I never have, I, I have heard speech pathologists say those things like you were talking about. And 
I've always thought it was awkward. Yeah. You know, I don't know, but I just thought that that's what they do. Yeah. But I'm glad to know that that's not the proper way to handle those conversations. Yeah. You, you're right. It's just, it should just be a natural back and forth. It shouldn't be a, a you know, mm-hmm. like you said, my turn. Right. That's cool. So what, what do you have some examples of some games that you've modified for students? Yes, I would love to share like maybe four with you. Um, one is Simon Says. Simon Says is really fun to work on joint attention, following directions. And the way that we modify Simon Says is it's always Simon Says. And so you just, you're working on that. Like, and that's really good for younger students. Um, I had a group of students, we were playing Simon Says, and I would do the same game. That's a thing too. Like if my kids like the game, if they enjoy it, I do that same activity for maybe four weeks in a row so that we're like in a groove with it. Um, And I had one student who wanted to be the leader. The student was more verbal, was talking more. And so the student would want to be the helper and he would get up and he would do the different motions and have everybody do them. And it was very funny because the student was not really an initiator in communication, but this game was was his jam. So Modified Simon Says, that's a super fun one. Um, another one that I love is Connect Four. Connect Four is a fun game. Like I think I just bought it for my own kids for Christmas, less than 10 bucks. And the way that I modify Connect Four is I have the student choose which color they want to be. And then we just put in the pieces. We just take turns. You're red, I'm yellow. And there's no strategy. Okay, so this is for students who that would be beyond the scope of them. Like it just be hard enough for them to sit to engage in the activity. Um, and I had a student who I played that with who had very um, high support needs, who was autistic, and his mom ended up buying that for him for Christmas. He was able to play with his sister, and it was just like a really nice shared activity. Um, and I love those stories. So that's a super fun one. Um, well, I'm sure your occupational therapist, were, yes, you know, very. <laughs> I'm very happy with you, but, you know, using those skills to put those little, absolutely, those little pieces into mm-hmm. the board. Yeah, and you know what? He was able, re- he was really able to do that. That was, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, another one that I love for younger students is musical chairs. And the way that we modify that is you never take a chair away. And then the directions for that are, okay, when you hear the music, you walk. And when the music stops, you sit down. So you're working on a cooperative leisure activity. You're working on following directions. What's nice about that is it's easy to stay relevant because you can change the songs, you know, whatever the most Encanto or I don't even know what the Disney movie is right now, but the one that I keep seeing everywhere, I haven't seen it yet, but you can play whatever music is the it music for your kids. So that's a fun one too. Um, and then the last one I want to talk about is Uno. Modified Uno is really such a fun game. So I had students who really were struggling with like reverse and skip and draw two. So what I did is I just, what I would do is take all those cards out and then I would put one yellow, one green, one blue, one red face up in the middle of the table and then shuffle all the other cards. The kids get their own deck and then they would just pick a card and they would match it. And it simply goes to working on matching, taking your turn, you know, things like that. Um, And that my students were very successful. And now with COVID, I even made like an Instagram reel where if you're really, you know, COVID precautions, each student could have their own little deck of cards. So you're matching color Mm -hmm. 
Or do you sometimes match numbers? I just match the color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you could do it either way. And that one's really fun, too, because Uno's just around. You know, most people have like an Uno game. And a lot of kids are like, okay, I can't play. The regular way to play Uno could take forever. You know what I mean? So, and I know my students need something quick. They need, you know, and over time, they can play longer. But the idea is too, which I love too, and like pre-COVID, we'd all sit around at tables and have little stations and things, is that my goal is I'm just working myself out of a job. And it's like my kids are just hanging out and spending time together, just like, you know, kids do. Yeah. Those are some really good ideas because just seeing kids, you know, when teachers give them downtime or free time, they're always drawn to the screen. Mm -hmm. And just having a way to incorporate fun so that everybody can be, you know, engaged and participate is really, these are really good ideas. Thanks. (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you coming on here and chatting with me. This was so informative and you have, um, you had like a social skills goal bank that I do that you could share with us. Yeah. Yes, yes. I will share that. If I didn't already send that email, I will share that with you. And the Social Skills Goal Bank is just to kind of get your wheels turning on. If if you're like, yes, I have kids like this. I mean, downtime and social skills and how am I going to work on that? Um, and this goal bank will give you ideas on how to write really functional uh, goals for your students that will target these social skills in a way where we're just thinking about how can we help our students have those positive peer-to-peer interactions. I think teachers across the board just love goal banks. I'm the department head for my district. And so mm-hmm. people are always asking me, what, how do I write a goal for such and such? So having those goal banks are just priceless. Oh, good. I'm glad. I like putting them together because I'm all about the IEPs. And I've just worked in some really contentious places where my IEPs, you know, were completely picked apart. So over the past 20 years, I've honed this craft. <laughs> Well, Rose, thank you so much for coming on. And can you tell the listeners where they can find you? Yes, visit me at abaspeech.org. I have autism courses that go more in depth on these skills and many others for toddlers, preschoolers, and school-age students as well. Okay, thanks again. Thanks. Thank you for sticking with me until the end. I can tell just by listening to this show that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am, and you want to grow into an amazing educator. And I'm here for it. I'm here for you, and I am so thrilled to be able to share all of my wisdom of being a veteran SPED teacher on the SPED Prep Academy podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to share it with friends, go ahead and screenshot an image of your favorite episode and tag me on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. They give an instant boost to my ego and they help others find the podcast as well. And then make sure you're following me on Instagram. I love to use that platform to add a little humor to our crazy days, as well as to provide you with motivation to get through the tough days, training on all sorts of topics that we need to know, and just overall support for what you do. You can find me on Instagram at Sped Prep Academy, and I've recently got into making some reels. They are way out of my comfort zone, but they are so fun to make. So make sure you check that out. If you liked what you heard today and realized you have found your SPED soulmate, please subscribe and then head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.